It's a blessing right now that we can get into God's Word and study it. And so I encourage you, get your Bible. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 there. As our focus this morning is an essential part of our study. So, month of May, and on my preaching calendar, May is for the family. It's for your children, it's for marriage. And I hope that these words this morning will be an encouragement to you. At least they're eye-opening to us to what the Bible has to say in regards to roles within marriage. A lot of these things are under attack today. The world tells us other things. And it was back then. There's a reason why these instructions are in the Bible. If they were just merely natural, if it's just that's the way it always was, or this is the traditional way it has been, then you wouldn't have instructions in the Bible in regards to marriage. As we come to this subject, when we come to the subject of marriage, marriage requires humility, lowliness. And it's an essential part of making a, a marriage and a family work is that we be humble. You think about times in your life when you've had to take a position of humility to gain something. You do that when you first begin playing a new sport. You begin that when you're in school. You start in a new job under an employer. You're definitely in a position of humility. In fact, you should keep it that way. If you don't keep it that way, you probably won't keep your job. You want to stay in a sense and in a place to where you realize where you belong, that you're constantly in a position of learning and being taught. You want to be coachable. And all that, talk, that, all that takes is humility. Humility is a great thing for success in our life, for the blessings of God. And it's something that's taught throughout the Scriptures in every part of our life that we need to be humble. It takes humility to gain things that are significant. And so for a successful marriage, it takes humility. It takes lowliness. And so as we look here in the text, we see things here in First Peter that are very striking and in contrast to what the world today may say. So let's read some of these scriptures here and then pray. But read here in First Peter chapter 3. So you have the Apostle Peter speaking here. I'm going to give some context to this as well. But I remember I've done a number of, of weddings where people have asked me, don't read that scripture. Don't mention that part of it. Don't talk about what the Bible has to say on that matter of the home and on the family. I've been able to sit down with various couples to do um, instruction as far as, um, I guess you can call it counseling or consultation in marriage and in ministry. And these passages come up that both men and women that the Bible gives instruction for that they don't like. I don't like that. I don't like the way that sounds. And so a lot of our translations will use the word submit here. And I've pointed this out before. The Greek word is hupatasso. And that we're about to read here. And it's translated on the screen behind me. It should be on the screen behind me. It says subject. Subject. What does that mean? So we're, let's, let's draw out here and take a look at this text. He says, in the same way, which tells you something. You're starting out 1 Peter chapter 3, and Peter says, in the same way. He must have been talking about something right before that. You back up before that, and you're going to find Jesus Christ. You're going to see His example, His model, what He set forth. And when you see more than that, we'll come back to the context in a minute. And so Peter says, by the, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he says, you wives... 
be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. That's a great encouragement. And I'm going to start right now and just pause for a second and make an observation on that. I don't think that women realize their level of influence upon men, their conduct and their behavior. The great women in our life that have great effect upon us as, as, as men who direct us in the way in which we are to live. And here he says to the wives, you be subject to your own husbands. In other words, you humble yourself before them. That's what the Greek word means. And that you recognize that he is to be taking the lead. That he takes a headship in the home. So be subject to him. And if you have a husband who is disobedient to God's word, that he can be one in this way. This is the way that God wants you to do it. He wants us to win others a lot of times by being a light in the world, by setting the example. Saying this is what it means to live a holy life. You know, the world's going to tell us, well, nobody's going to gain anything by that, by you being humble and, and, and in, a, in a situation where a wife is subjecting to the husband. They should be equal partners, and you hear that a lot. I've always heard that discussion. They'd be equal partners. And yeah, are we equal? Equal in value, but equal in different ways. As husband and wives or man and woman in the church, there are different roles. And this congregation holds to the fact that the roles of man and woman in marriage and in the church is complementary, not egalitarian. And so you can see, hear those big words and discussion on the subject. Egalitarian is everything is equal. Whatever he does, she can do. And we're in a world today where you have men claiming to be women and then doing things in regards to sports and so forth and dominating in them. And you would look at that and say, well, that's not fair. That's not right. Well, why can't they do the same thing equally? Because men and women are different. The Scriptures teach that. And have different roles in, in, throughout society, in the home, and in the church. And so here, you have instruction by God, by the Holy Spirit through Peter, that you can win him over without a word by the very conduct. As they, it says, as they observe your pure conduct with fear. And the word there is fabas or fabia, meaning a respect. And that's the idea there, is that you win him over with respect. He says, your adornment, your clothing, what you wear must not be merely external. The braiding of hair or the wearing of gold jewelry or the putting on of garments. And I think that's fitting today, but it was definitely fitting back in the Greco-Roman world and the Jewish culture and all the world at that time. Where a woman took a position of authority, she would put her hair up, she would get elaborately braided, and she would have gold and pearls put in it. And you can read about this uh, a little bit hinted over over in 1 Timothy chapter 2 as well. In fact, I think this has a lot to what you read about in 1 Corinthians 11 where it says that a a woman is um, to have her head covered. When you start reading there, the covering is her hair. In other words, how she adorns her hair in humility. The woman who washed Jesus' feet let her hair down, a sign of humility in that time, to do that, to wash His feet with her hair. And here you have the braided hair. He says, it's not just about your adornment and how you appear. He says, what it needs to be is this, your conduct, your behavior. And he says, and let it be the hidden person of the heart. Let it be the hidden person of the heart that people see. That they see your character. They see the beauty within. You know, we've, you've probably known people who, they look nice, they have a great smile, but you get to know them. 
There's something not right inside. Maybe some rottenness. Something where you, once you get to know them, you're like, I don't want to be around that person. And there are other people where we might have prejudged them by their appearance and get to know them and find out they're the salt of the earth. They'll do anything for you. And they love all people. So we, we learn not to judge in that way. And we also learn here from the scriptures about the, the character which we are to manifest. The adornment and the glory that we are to present to this world is from the heart. And so, so he says, so let it be the hidden person, the heart, with the incorruptible quality of a lowly, humble, that is, and then quiet spirit. The word quiet there means peaceful spirit, which is precious in God's sight, in the sight of God. That tells you a lot right there about what God values. Men and women, that He wants people who are humble, who have a disposition like this that is peaceful, that these, this is precious in God's sight. Now I'm going to add to this again. Peter wouldn't be commanding this if all the world was already doing it. It was just a part of tradition and culture and society. And usually we're told today, and I had somebody mention this a few weeks ago, had a discussion with a a man at the gym, and he was asking me about the church, and he said, what do you think about this, and what's going on in these different churches, and all these different controversies he wanted to know about, and then when he found a point of which we disagreed on, he says, yes, but it's 2023. It's 2023. What did he mean? He's saying, it's a different year. You can't go by what they had in the Bible 2,000 years ago. That's what he was implying. But what do we do? See, Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. book of Hebrews tells us that. His words never change. They're enduring. And the message of the Holy Spirit through Peter here endures. It was in contrast in the world then, and it's very much in contrast to the world today. I've had a lot of people scoff at this, and usually when I preach on this message, I often get an well, at least in Jacksonville, I get an angry word from somebody. Why would you preach on that? Why would you mention that? And there's a reason why I also preach the way that I do, where I'm just going to read and start with the reading, because it keeps me out of trouble. Because I can say, that's what the Bible says. I just read what the Bible says. Why are you angry at me? I'm just reading what the Bible says. And so that's why a lot of times I do this. I get it from the Bible and how how, how I want to present and preach and how I see in the text. And uh, I get it for that very reason. It keeps me out of trouble. And so let's go on with the text so I can stay out of trouble. It says, for in this way, in former times, in former times in the past. And then he looks back to Sarah. Where was Sarah? Well... She would have been 2,000 years before this. Why does she still apply 2,000 years later? We're asking the same question today. Why does it apply 2,000 years later from the time of which Peter wrote it? He says, For in this, the former time, the holy women also who hoped in God. Holy women who hoped in God. They used to adorn themselves. How did they adorn themselves? What did they put on? Being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. All right? Why is... Sarah's example of calling Abraham Lord significant here. Well, she's respecting him. She's also recognizing who Abraham was. You know, Abraham had 613 fighting men under him in Genesis chapter 14. That tells me that he had a group and a caravan that moved around there in the land of Canaan for about 2,000 people. you got a moving city and all of his flocks. He was definitely the master of it all, Lord. Usually you watch like a movie of, of Abraham and Sarah, and then you got Hagar, and it looks like there's just two or three people just out in the middle of the wilderness. 
But no, we're talking about a, a, a town that is able to move. He is the Lord and the master of it. And she recognizes that. She respects that of who her husband is. And she refers to him by his, by his position, who he is. He is the Lord. He is the one, the, the, the master in that situation. He is the, the mayor over that little floating city. That's who he is. And so she does that. She respects her husband. Now imagine what effect that would have if she didn't. What would other people think? Would there be uh, revolts or so forth among his own group? I don't hear about that. But you see Sarah's example. It's a holy woman and a woman of, of, um, adorned with holiness and hope. And then the text says here, he says, you have become her children if you do good, not fearing any intimidation. In other words, you don't need to fear any intimidation, but this is what you do. You subject yourself. You take the position of relying upon God as a holy woman and you be an influence in the world. And then he says to the husbands, you husbands in the same way, notice that, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. In other words, live with her with wisdom, recognizing who she is. And this is as with a weaker vessel, meaning that, you know, and we see this, men are stronger than women. That is his only reference there. He says that men being stronger and she being a weaker vessel, you live with her in an understanding way since she is a woman. And show her this, show her what? Show her honor. And, uh, and that's what godly husbands do. They honor their wives. They show honor to their wives. They, they, they glorify them. They don't talk about their wives behind their backs. They don't say condescending things to them. They don't speak down to them. They don't degrade them. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And he's emphasizing something here. Peter's saying she's a fellow heir. Just like you are having an, an eternal inheritance as you look forward eternal, to have eternal life in the heavenly kingdom and all the blessings that come from God, she shares in the same thing by the same favor of God, by the same grace. And so you better be careful, he says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. A man who doesn't honor his wife, doesn't recognize her as a fellow heir of the grace of life, who doesn't respect her and live with her in an understanding way, the Bible says his prayers will be hindered. There's more to be said on that, and we'll come to that in a moment. Before we go any further, let's pray about this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures, and we thank you for the words of Peter that we've read now. Father, we ask that you bless our homes, our marriages in this congregation and throughout the churches. Father, may we rely upon your word and never compromise it, never set it aside, never put it beside as equal with society or below what the world is saying. Father, may we stand on the words of which are given to us in the Holy Bible. Father, strengthen us in the teachings and the words of Christ and following his example of humility. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So did Peter, did he teach the roles of men and women in marriage according to the, the tradition of the time, what the world was saying, what the ancient classical world would, would teach? And there's a lot of contrast. You probably heard about that, the philosopher Aristotle. Aristotle had a lot of instructions and rules that he made out for husbands, and his instruction was, husbands, this is how you rule over your wife. Where do you find that in the Bible? following the ancient world. It doesn't say, husbands, this is how you rule over your wife. It says, husbands, this is how you love your wife. That's what you get in the Bible. This is how you love your wife. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, husbands, 
you make sure that your wife submits and that she's subjective. It doesn't say that. There's instruction to the wives to subject themselves, but it doesn't tell the husband to do that. It leaves it to the wives to do that. And the husband's instruction is to love their wives, to honor their wives, to do these things that the Bible teaches. So this is what stands out to me as I'm reading this text and I'm reading other passages in regards to the home and the family is this, that wives subject to your husbands and husbands, from what I've seen very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, is you are to lay down your life for your wife. You are to make a sacrifice of yourself. You are to love your wife in this way to honor her is to sacrifice yourself. And you go on, you read here, and after that warning, where Peter says, listen, if you mistreat your wife and you don't honor her and you don't do these things, your prayers will be hindered. And listen to what he says here. He says, now to sum up, I like the way the translation says it right there. He says, all of you, all of you be like-minded. You need to be sympathetic. And this is brotherly. It's the Greek word Philadelphia, which means to have family love among you. He says, be tender-hearted and humble in spirit. What? Husbands and wives in marriage. And this is an important thing, I think, to, to be applied here. He says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. I've, I've seen marriages do this, and I've seen couples do this, where they will yell at each other, cuss at each other, abuse each other, throw things at each other. And the Bible says, do not return evil for evil. It takes one of you to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to curse anymore. I'm not going to be the one who does that. I'm not going to be the one who reviles. That's what reviling is. I'm not going to be the one who returns evil for evil. Instead, he says, do what, pe- what, what um, Jesus said to do. And that is return with blessing. Give a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So give blessings. So I think that's a message to all of us as we look at our, our marriage and the struggles that go there. It's going to take somebody making sure that we're following the commands and instructions of Christ, us deciding in our heart, no matter what happens, I'm going to do what Christ wants me to do. I'm going to respond in a way of blessing and a way of love. And then he goes on here and he uses a passage from Psalm 34. So this quotation for Peter from Psalm 34 makes application and he's adamant again, do not hinder your prayers. By the way that you behave in your home. You think the doors are closed and nobody sees it? God sees it. And it makes a difference. And so Peter says here, For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. It's a poetic description that God attends to the prayers of the one who lives in the right way, who speaks in a way that is honorable and good. He says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Maybe you've heard it before that those who live in sin, God doesn't hear their prayers. With the exception of Cornelius who's seeking God, you do see him an unsaved man. God heard his prayers. But otherwise, it's very much true. Someone who lives in wickedness and evil and then goes to God in prayer, God does not hear those prayers. And the whole warning here is, husbands, you need to honor your wife and treat her right and be so in an understanding way. I want you to look at the background here, too. The background of the text and and the instruction here, he begins with the wives. They subject yourselves to your husbands. Here's the context. 
He's commanding Christians, again, from the context to be subject to the governing authorities. Be subject to them. Why? He says, live as people who are free. Don't live in the sin of the world. But you live in a different way. You be subject and God will give you freedom. That's what the Bible says. We don't rebel against the government. And then furthermore, we read further on, he says, there are those who are servants. You are to be subject to your lords and your masters because God gives you freedom. And that we have employers today. And so we are to humble ourselves and be subject to them. And I think it's, a, it's very strange when we pay our taxes and we're subject to the government. Um, and then we're subject to our employer. But there's no subjection in the home. Oh no, you can't say that. And the ultimate example he gets to is right here in the center of this is Christ. Follow the footsteps of Christ. Follow His example of being subject to to others, entrusting himself to God, even to this death upon the cross that he conquered evil and wickedness by his behavior. You follow his example. That's 1 Peter 3, sorry, 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25. So that gives you the background and the context there. And, you know, people can pull out these passages out of context. Say, Do you really believe this? Do you really believe what the Bible says right here, that wives are to subject themselves to their husbands? You know, people, you can be put on the spot. What does the Bible say? What does the instruction say? The New Testament, again, doesn't instruct husbands to rule over their wives, but instructs them to love their wives. I want to share with you, building off of that this morning, what the Bible says in regards to marriage. So we have some just clarity. I want to share with you eight things that specifically show how a husband is to love his wife. And this is what we see from the Scriptures. Right? You could probably divide this into four things or uh, a dozen things. So eight's not the definitive number, of course. But number one, as is repeated in the Bible, you're to love for your wife. You're to care for her. And then, if that's not enough, Paul goes on here in Ephesians 5 and explains it. He goes into more detail. He says, give your life and lay down your life for your wife. Give that great sacrifice. And I encourage you wives to look at your husband and recognize when he's willing to die for you and make sacrifices for you. Those are acts of love on your behalf. He's doing what a husband should do. Another thing that stands out here is just as Christ leads the church, he says the husband is to lead his wife. He is to be a spiritual example. And he is to lead her to live a holy life. You know, some husbands would be like, well, I've got shortfallings myself, and I just don't know the Bible that well, and I have a lot of limitations. You take your strengths. What you know about God and what you know about God's Word and knowing that, yes, you have sins and you have your own faults and put them aside and begin to lead. Lead prayer at dinner. Lead prayer. Be the example. Be the one who brings up discussions and talks about the Bible. Be that example to your children. Furthermore, another instruction that's given to the husbands is that they are to nourish. That is, they are to provide for the wives and they are to cherish them. To warm them is literally what the Greek word has meant. It means to care for their wives. Nourish them. Care for them. Treat their body as your own body. In other words, abuse has no part in it. There's no place in that in a Christian marriage at all. But you are to nourish and to cherish your wife. That's a commandment from God to husbands. Another thing that husbands are told not to do is not to be harsh and bitter. The word for bitterness is used throughout the text and is often, one of the passages we read before, is giving evil for evil. It's speaking or cursing in Romans 3 and verse 14. Don't speak to your wife in that way. Don't be one who uses verbal abuse and intimidation. That is not a part of the Christian home. 
has no place in it. Scripture is also saying, this goes both ways, you'll see a little bit further, is do not neglect the intimate union with your wife. And so sexual relations within marriage are very important. A husband and wife who come together. And the Scriptures say, do not neglect that. Evil comes from that. Temptations come from that. And the Bible warns against it. And the husband is not to do that. And, you know, someone might think, well, this is mostly a command for the benefit of the, of the man. And uh, I have a number of women who come to me and said, my husband won't have relations with me anymore. Why? It's important to marriage, and it's commanded here and instructed. Furthermore, we see this. As we've just read before in 1 Peter chapter 3, live with your wife in an understanding way, with wisdom, caring for her, recognizing who she is. And so again, back to that same point, honor your wife as a person who shares in God's grace. All these things are commanded of men and husbands in marriage. God commands love. Now I want to comment on this and note some things the Bible says toward wives. But often hear this. People will say, I fell out of love, right? You'll hear, I fell out of love, and so they go, and what happens next? Separated, divorced, found somebody else. And so you hear that description. The Bible commands husbands and wives to love. There's no falling out of it. If you're obeying God, you're going to keep the actual command and instruction. I love God. I love Christ. I love His Word. I'm going to love my spouse. There's no falling out of love. That's not the way it works. It's an instruction from God. It is a command from God to do that. It seems very foolish and contrary to the Bible to say otherwise. Here's six things that we see that are instructed toward wives. So, love your husbands again. Titus chapter 2 commands this. As we've already read, be subject to your husbands in everything. Also in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians 3. Number three, recognize the husband as the head and that he takes on a sacrificial role and that he needs to lead. And so I encourage wives, a lot of wives will say, I wish my husband was more of a leader. The key thing is there to put that responsibility on him and say, you can do it. I trust you to do it. Lead us in prayer. You know, and turn that over to him. Recognize the husband as the head and that he needs to take on that role and a leader. Respect your husband. As that conduct that we read about before can persuade a man, uh, respect is one of the few things that I find that can change a man other than Christ Himself. Is the effect of respecting someone. And for men, that goes a long ways. To show respect helps men to take on responsibility. To be a better man. He wants to be a better man because he is respected by his wife. Number five, again, do not neglect the intimate union with your husband. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9. And then number six, clothe yourself with humility and peace from the heart. That's where we began when we looked at these scriptures. Those, as I combed over the New Testament, those are the direct instructions and commands that I can find. And maybe you can find some others that I, I missed this morning. That's all of them that I can find there. The instruction, the responsibility in marriage, what a Christian marriage looks like. While the world says something else, I don't care what the world says. I care what Christ says. I care what His apostles and prophets have delivered to me. I'm going to keep those words. I'm going to follow the Bible. I'm going to go with what the New Testament says. The New Testament you know, would not describe the roles of marriage uh, this way unless 
Today and back then, people wanted to rebel against it. But they wouldn't throw it out. You know, I hear these peculiar things. He's like, well, you know, women didn't have rights back then. Even in the Bible, you can go to Proverbs 31 and you can see women, a woman there, the, the, the woman there who's specifically buying property and she has servants who are working under her. You can read about women having their own businesses. You can, have, you can read about Jesus' instruction in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus tells women, do not divorce your husband. I had somebody, somebody say to me once, did you know back then that women were not allowed to divorce their husbands? Well, why then did Christ have to instruct women in Mark chapter 10 and verse 11 not to divorce their husbands? In the Jewish context, too. Jewish world, not just the, the Greco-Roman world, the Greeks and the Romans, but just in general to them, those are the words of Christ. In other, other, in other words, you hear a lot of myths. A lot of things that are said about the past that aren't true. What we need to do is go to the Bible and rely upon it, trust in it, and we see the roles of which God has given to us. And back then, there was a state of which there can be rebellion from men and women as there is today, and we need to go to the Scriptures. We need to learn the message that we've seen this morning. Wives, subject to your husbands. Humble yourselves before them. And husbands, sacrifice for your wife. Sacrifice for her. Ephesians 5 and verse 21 introduces this subject. And you have one statement there, and it says here in regards to the church and to all Christians, that we are to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And our fear of Christ, our respect of who He is, we subject to one another. We're all to be humble. We're all to be considerate of others. I encourage you this morning, if you haven't become a Christian, do so. Subject yourself to Christ. Become a part of His church, His bride, whom He has cleansed by the washing of water. You should know what that means when you read Ephesians chapter 5, the washing of water. It's baptism. It's when Christ makes us clean. I hear that example of the leadership that Christ sets uh, over the church is also for the marriage. I think a very fitting invitation this morning. If you haven't put on Christ in baptism, do so. You need prayers and encouragement. We want you to come forward and, and pray with us. We encourage you right now. Let's stand.